Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. That you've rescued us, that you reach out to us, that you meet us where we're at. That your grace is so deep and so profound that there is nothing that you cannot overcome in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's grab a seat. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's, it's an honor to get to speak this morning. I appreciate it. And uh, lock the doors. No one's getting out. Uh, no, um, this morning, I actually want to share a story. Uh, it's, a, it's a story from my time uh, touring. Neil was just singing and, and Ryan. Uh, the three of us were in a, a rock and roll band, and we toured... Uh, all over North America for a lot of years, and we did a, a couple tours in a country, one country in Europe called Denmark. And I want to share a story of our time in Denmark because this was um, the only time Neil willingly went to a museum. Uh, but a little bit of this is, is to precursor this, this is a, a bit of the history of the country of Denmark. In around 965 AD, Denmark was a, a very Viking nation. It was a, a conquering, strong nation that had conquered a lot of Europe. And, uh, and the culture there was very much involved in the worship of the gods Thor and Odin before Marvel uh, reinvented them. And, uh, and, and that was, that's the backdrop for the story. It polytheistic. There was a, a Catholic priest, and his name was Papo, who was a bishop and a monk, and he came forth one day in this king's court, and the king's name is, is King Harold Bluetooth, first Bluetooth. Uh, and, he, uh, and, and this king was known for being a conqueror. He, he was like the guy. And this priest steps forward in this king's court and says, there's only one true God and his son, our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and all other gods are only trolls and not gods. And King Harold, who's quick to listen, but so to speak, he asked Papo if he's willing to confirm this faith with his life, to which Papo immediately said yes. So the king ordered that he be taken into custody until the following day. Well, he kind of thinks up a plan here. The next morning, he has a large iron glove heated in the fire till it is red hot. And he brings it out, and he, and he orders the priest, in the name of the Christian faith, put your hand in this glove and wear it until I see fit. Without hesitation, Papo put his hand in the glove, just like in this picture up here. And he walked around with it for as long as the king wanted. When the king had said, okay, take it off, he took his hand out, and there was no burning, no scars, no damage. It was perfectly fine. And it thus proved the Christian faith for all. The king was immediately converted to Christianity, and overnight, the entire country of Denmark became a Christian nation at the king's decree. As a visible sign of this conversion, 
and what it meant to Denmark, Harold had a big stone made, uh, and one side has Christ with outstretched arms showing his superiority, and on the other side is this inscription which says, King Harold had this memorial made for his father Grom and his mother Tyra, the same Harold who conquered all of Norway and Denmark and who made the Danes Christian. This stone still stands today in the town of Jelling in Denmark, and it's often referred to as Denmark's baptismal certificate. This is recorded in the secular history of Denmark, this incredible miracle and this event which completely changed the course of this nation. So while we, uh, while we, we went and saw this stone, and it was, it, was, it was neat, and we went to this museum, and there was one room in the, the Danish National History Museum. And, and as you look around it, there was crucifixes. And, and so overnight, this country became Christian, and there was a crucifix from every century after that in this room. And our tour manager, who was from Denmark, pointed this out. He's like, you see, um, you see this one here? You see how Jesus looks like all like, buff and ripped and nothing, look, nothing like Ryan? Um, <laughs> that's, that's because the, like, they were Vikings. That's, that's what they could relate to. And then you see this one over here who looks sick and, and weak and more like Ryan. Um, that's from the years of like the Great Plague, you know, Black Death. And, and he just kind of pointed out these different crosses and what they meant to the different people at the different times. And, uh, and he was like, this is, see, this is neat. This is the way that it's amazing how Jesus can relate to you wherever you are. I'm like, that's, that's cool. But I was thinking about this afterwards. And I started asking this question. Is the Jesus that I serve, that I worship, the, the Jesus, the picture of him that I have in my mind, is that the accurate Jesus or is that the way I've sculpted him? Is the Jesus on the cross in my life, is that one that I made? Or am I the one who's being made and shaped and sculpted by him? Am I seeing Jesus accurately? And this launched a, a giant journey in my personal faith. And I remember thinking about this room again and again and cannot get it out of my head. And, and it launched, it was a, in a way a permission slip for me to ask the question, why? Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I hold to this? Why do we do this? Why do we say this? Why do we, why, 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 why? And, and it's amazing how much power there is in that question. And so part of what we're going to talk about this morning is just the permission to ask the question, why? Now, I want to preface this a little bit as far as we're talking this morning. Um, I'm, not, I'm not questioning whether or not I believe in Jesus Christ. I, that's settled in my mind. It's settled in me. I've approached it honestly and intellectually with an open mind. Um, I've read countless books, allowed it to be challenged, uh, and the evidence always takes me back to the cross, and my experiences keep my heart there. Um, this, is a, this is a whole topic that you know, we should address on another day for anyone who has questions, and I'd love to be a part uh, of, of answering that for you, uh, maybe in another setting. But the question that I want to talk about today is why do I believe what I believe within this context of Christianity? Uh, let's be honest. Uh, there's, to the outside world, it looks like we're pretty divided. It looks like there isn't a whole lot of consensus on this whole Christianity thing. For me, as a kid, I, I attended a united church as a child. Um, I went to Catholic Mass when I visited my grandparents. Uh, when I was 15 is when I, I became a born-again Christian, really committed my life to following Jesus. And, and I went to an evangelical free church uh, on Sundays. And then on Monday nights, I attended a Pentecostal church worship service. 
Uh, when I met Ryan, it was at a four-square uh, four church youth night, and we both sometimes attended a Victory Church youth group. Um, for our first few years uh, as a band, our band pastor and, and my mentor was a full gospel minister, and I attended his full gospel church when I lived in Kelowna. Um, when I moved back to Calgary, I briefly attended a few different churches, a Calvary Chapel, a Word of Faith Church, and then even a Mennonite church, um, which had the best cooking. Um, before, before moving to Lloydminster and, and joining First Baptist Church, and it's, it's nice to be home, to be settled, to be committed in somewhere. I, I see a lot of value in that, a lot more than I did at a younger age. But I can say that from, from seeing all these different churches and, and all the different nuances and, and, and ideas and focuses that they had and how it seems like everybody did have a little bit different Jesus on their cross. Uh, now, our similarities far outweigh our differences, in, especially in every primary issue that really matters. It's the secondary things that, that where there would be differences. But in seeing this room in this museum, it challenged me to challenge every predisposition and assumption that I had and said, okay, let's explore it. Let's figure this out. Let's ask why. I want to be able to, you know, explain why. Um, there's a, a motivational speaker, uh, his name is Zig Ziglar. Uh, he passed away in 2012. But there's a story that he often told. Uh, there, he won a sales contest, and he, the prize was uh, this amazing prize ham. And he brings it home, gives it to his wife. Uh, her name was Jean. And she takes the ham and immediately, bam, cuts off the end of it. And Zig's like, why'd you cut off the end of my prized ham? Well, I, I'm not sure. That's, that's just the way my mom always cooked it. Well, let's call your mama and ask her. Call, calls mom. Mom, why do you always cut the end off a ham? And mom was like, that's just how grandma always did it. That's just, I've always done it that way. So they call grandma. Okay, let's call granny. Why do you always cut the end off the ham before you cook it? And granny says, well, I don't know why you two did it, but my pan was too short. <laughs> So, so let's start with this natural first question. Why should we ask why? And the answer is because we want to see Jesus accurately. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I feel like in some ways, Christianity... Has, has abdicated and surrendered ground in the realm of intellectualism, in the realm of, of, of thought, like the realm of advancement. We were at the forefront of it for, for millennia, and now we've walked backwards on this. But I want you to know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, Cambridge, almost every major influential university was actually founded by Christian missionaries who saw a great deal of value in being educated in Christians being smart, able to defend and talk about what we believe and why. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton, Blaise Pascal, Robert Boyle, many of the most incredible scientists in history, Christians, strong, devout Christians, saw no incompatibility between the fields of science and Christianity. Uh, there's a book uh, called 100 Years of Nobel Prizes, and it's a review of all the Nobel Prize awards uh, that were that were handed out between 1901 and 2000. Over that 100 years, it was revealed that 65.4% of Nobel Prize winners 
identified Christianity in its various forms as their religious preference. Overall, Christians won a total 72.5% of the Nobel Prizes in Chemistry, 653 in Physics, 62 in Medicine, and 54% in Economics. You know, this, this is, there's a lot behind. There's a lot of good reasons to ask why an intelligent, brilliant minds agree. To see, and this is why this is so important, because to see Jesus accurately is to actually have the right cure for the correctly diagnosed disease. You don't treat cancer with Benadryl. It's not going to solve the problem. You, know, you don't use normal shampoo on Ryan's hair. You need something stronger, something more industrial strength, like scissors. Um, to see Jesus accurately is to behold his full majesty, to experience the complete depths of his grace. Yes, Jesus is the, the, the warrior on the cross. And yes, he is the one who understands your sickness and your pain. And yes, he is the lion and he is the lamb and he is a savior and he is a servant and he is the king. Our future judgment is in his hands and that judgment will be based on his law, not ours. He is our only hope for forgiveness and true grace is solely found in him. And it is this complete picture of Jesus that we must serve, not just the bits and pieces that we like or fit into our concept of reality. You know, Jesus is the one who spoke profound words that cut to the core of our humanity. He taught truths that so incensed some people that they killed him because he challenged their traditions. He challenged their man-made precepts. And God was not in, on the throne in their lives. Jesus taught, turn the other cheek, serve the poor, love your neighbor. This is the Jesus who said, love, you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our lives being laid down for the sake of the advancement of his kingdom. And he has done more for each of us than anyone else ever has or ever will. You know, if you see Jesus correctly, everything else falls in, into place as far as how we prioritize things. But, but on another level than that, maybe if we did a good job of reflecting Jesus accurately, we wouldn't have to spend much time thinking about evangelism. I really believe that if people actually saw Jesus for who he is, that they would be amazed by him, just like every one of us here was when we first encountered Jesus. You see, the real Jesus is transformative. He is countercultural. And that Jesus, when you get to know him, he blows up your life in the best possible way and recreates us to something new. And if other people could just see that, they might understand how great this Jesus is. So to see Jesus accurately is a big part of us being able to reflect him accurately to others so they can see him too. God forbid that we are the people that stand in the way of someone else getting to know Jesus or that we put our traditions or our secondary things in the way of the primary things and so prevent someone from meeting Jesus Christ. God forbid that. Another reason, another reason why it's so important to see Jesus accurately is it's 1 Corinthians 3.18. So we are not deceived. We don't want to be deceived people. 
Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. History is full of examples of people who have used the Bible, taken a couple verses, twisted it just enough to suit their own goals and their own aims. Some examples, the Salem witch trials, the Inquisition, or the Crusades. The Crusades literally involved the slaughter and massacre of of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And the saying, this is what Christians would say on their way to the Crusades and while they were there. They would say, Latin is Deus Volt. Deus Volt means God wills it. And that's what they would say as they would go into a town, rape and pillage and murder. This is the example, in my mind, of what it is to take the Lord's name in vain. It's not how you say or the tone of your voice when you say Jesus. It's to misrepresent him so terribly. To take all of Scripture and throw it out and say, this is who we think Jesus is. Let's go rape, pillage, and murder. Let's justify this based on what? That is taking the Lord's name in vain in the worst possible way. These events are indefensible for Christians. Like, we, we can't defend them. They were wrong. We, we, anyone with any understanding of anything that Jesus taught knows that these things were wrong. To give a little bit of grace here, these are time periods where not everybody had the Bible, the Bible app on their phone. A few people had it. A few people had the, not the app, but a few people had the Bible, and they could do what they wanted with it, and they could influence the masses however they wanted to, and twist the truth to achieve political or, or economic or other gains. It's, it's blatant sin. Today, we are responsible because we have such incredible access to the scriptures. We are responsible to know truth so that we are not deceived and led down a path like this. If someone gets up and they speak confidently, sometimes people will follow that. Hitler rose to power based on his charisma, not based on truth. You know, I think about the Garden of Gethsemane where the guards come to arrest Jesus. And Peter pulls his sword and he hacks off the ear of a servant. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, put away your sword. Put away your sword. And then he heals this man that was part of coming to arrest him. That, that, Jesus, doesn't, that Jesus doesn't look like the one that the people who justified crusades and inquisitions and witch trials served. It looks different. So we want to see Jesus accurately so we are not deceived. Uh, The Bible warns specifically about there being wolves in sheep's clothing. And some of these examples that I just went through, like those, that shows you who who the wolves are. Matthew 7.15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. It's certainly the responsibility of every one of us here to know and learn truth, to be able to answer that question why. And it is absolutely the responsibility of teachers, anyone who will stand up here, to take this seriously and to be up here with no other agenda except to share truth. It's that very seriously. Uh, now let's go with 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Our church views the Bible as vitally important. If you know it, you will not be led astray. Now, I want to share a little bit of context on the New Testament. You know, did you know that the first number of generations of Christians didn't have a New Testament? Although it's generally agreed on by scholars, both secular and Christian, uh, that all the books of the New Testament were written before about 120 AD, uh, and many as, some as early as 50 AD, they weren't officially compiled and canonized until uh, there's some variance in the debate, but between the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century AD is when it's officially canonized. But the Gospels and, and these letters, um, which comprise the New Testament, they were circulating. They were going amongst the early churches, encouraging, teaching, guiding, and directing. Now, before anybody uses this uh, in, in any way to discount the necessity or the authority of the New Testament, I want to explain why this makes the New Testament even more important to you than you first thought when you walked in here this morning. You see, the early churches were started by people who, hand, who firsthand witnessed Jesus Christ. Like they saw him. They saw the miracles. They watched him die. They saw him alive three days later. And these people went out all over the world sharing their testimony of what they saw. They said, we saw this. We were there. It was incredible. And they proved the validity of it with their lives. Most eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ were put to death. So it's not like they were doing this and they had a whole bunch to gain from it. When given the opportunity to renounce their faith, they said, I cannot deny that which I have seen. I would rather die than lie about what I saw with Jesus Christ and gave their their lives. Now, as what always happens in anything is over time, false false doctrines and false teachers and all these things can, can come in. And they can share their viewpoints. So what these, these early witnesses did is they wrote down their testimony. New Testament testimony. They wrote down their testimony of what they saw, what they witnessed, so that we would not be deceived. So we would not be led astray, but we would see Jesus accurately, see him for who he really is, for what he really did. The New Testament is exactly that. It is an accurate testimony of who Jesus is. And when Paul was writing a letter or any, any, of the, any, of the, uh, any of the letters in the New Testament, it's not like they were thinking in terms of verse numbers. They, you know, like Paul wasn't like, okay, verse 1, da, 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 verse 2, da, da, da. Like that came in with the canonizing of Scripture hundreds of years later, same with titles. Like a letter was written as a letter to be read as a letter. A mistake we make sometimes is we pick out a verse and then we do whatever we want to with it <laughs> as opposed to reading the thing as a whole and seeing Okay, what's the, what is the broad point that this is a part of? And how does this relate to everything else? And you, you bring in that whole picture, and it illuminates incredible truth on our lives here today that we can react to, that we can be a part of. You know, the New Testament is absolutely God-breathed and inspired by God. And we read it understanding just even how it originated and the context it came from. This is just one more why. I asked, why do I believe in the New Testament? Why, why do we say something is God-breathed? Why do we, and you dive into that and you ask these questions and you research and you read and you, you find something that was better than what I was taught growing up. 
but this is, they've made the Bible even more relevant to my life than what I had first thought. We are to build our foundation on solid ground and not shifting sand. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember a, a show that, that we played, and it was uh, somewhere in the Bible Belt in the middle of nowhere, a small town uh, in the States. And, and we were on this, this big tour, and there was a lot of people that were coming out every night, and, and we were seeing just amazing stuff happen every night. Like We were seeing uh, young people, teenagers, adults give their lives to Christ like at every stop on this tour. It was, it was just amazing how powerful the music and the message and the other bands we were with and, and, and what was happening every night. It was, it was awesome. Some of my favorite memories. But on this particular night, there was a man on street corner across the street from the lineup that, that had wrapped around the building and people were going in. And there was a man there waving around a Bible, yelling into a bullhorn about how rock and roll music is from the devil how the King James Version is the only accurate thing you can read, and how the only music acceptable to God is hymns. And, and he was going off and off and off and off. And I remember seeing this and just being like, wow, really, wow, wow, okay, whoa, this is, this is crazy. I listened to him for a while, and I'll be honest, like, my heart wasn't exactly filled with, like, loving grace. Like, I was, I was angry. And I walked up to him, and I just started chatting with him. I was like, hey, like, Here's who I am. I'm, I'm the singer of one of the bands that's playing there tonight. I, I hear what you're saying. I completely disagree with you. Let's talk about it. And, uh, and right away, he's you know, reiterated everything he was saying and told me that, that I'm sinning and leading people astray with our music and that my heart is totally deceived and I can't see God. And I brought him to 1 Corinthians 9.20, and I had him read it. And he said, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. We talked for a little while afterwards, and then he, he left. And we went and did our, our show, and it was incredible. I remember it just being a night where uh, God was even more active, it seemed. But I was thinking about this gentleman afterwards, and, and, I, and it was so hard to think gracefully towards him. He seemed so hateful. Uh, the more I thought about it, the more I could acknowledge, you know, the guts that it took to do what he did. You know, like that he, and I'm sure that he believed, as, as almost everyone does. Everyone believes they're good people and that they're doing the right thing. Um, we just disagree with the methodology. You know, and he's, I just... I believe he did it with the best intentions, but I, I, didn't, I didn't see the same Jesus in him as I see in Scripture. You know, I wonder what he would say to the first seven centuries of Christians who existed before an organ was ever used in a church to play a hymn. Or those who sang Gregorian chants in monasteries for centuries before him ever existed. Or, or to the first century Christians who sang antiphonal psalmody, which is a style of music that doesn't exist anymore. Um, you're hard-pressed to find hymns, as we know them, originating before the 16th and 17th century. So for this man to get up and say hymns are the only acceptable form of worship for God is to discount 1,600-1,700 years of Christian history. Or, or to say only the King James Version of the Bible. So what do you say to the 1,600 years of Christians who existed before the King James Bible was compiled from, from a number of manuscripts? And, and, and in English, 
You know, like, so, so what if I don't read English? What if I existed before English? Does that mean I don't know truth? Like, obviously not. And like, I love hymns. I love the King James Version of the Bible. I'm not railing against either of those. But what I'm saying is, let's not mistake tradition for truth. Let's not confuse human methodology with biblical doctrine. I don't believe for one second that God cares what the music sounds like. I think he really cares about the state of your heart. I think scripture confirms this. Mark 7, 7 through 9, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Or Proverbs 16.2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind. God cares where your heart's at when you come to worship him. God cares so much more about that than what it looks like or what it sounds like. And we don't need to be the kind of people that keep putting barriers and roadblocks and tradition in, in the way of people's journey to get to know the real living Jesus Christ. I love that our church does everything we can to tear down every barrier, every man-made thing that someone would put up in between anyone out there in Jesus Christ. We want people to understand the kind of access that you can have to him, which is free. You know, here's my invitation today. Learn to know who Jesus really is. Strip away culture, tradition, perceptions, all of it, and get back to the Bible. What does it say? Who does it say Jesus is? What is he like, and what are his priorities for your life? If your version of Jesus is okay with your hate and your unforgiveness, you're not seeing the real Jesus. Jesus wants better for you than for your life to be consumed with things that come from the enemy and not with God. If you'd rather convert someone to your political viewpoint than share your faith with them, or if you think Jesus would vote for your party, you're probably making Jesus in your image instead of letting him make you in his. Jesus is not political. He's above this. And God's kingdom that we have been invited to the privilege of being citizens of is not a democracy. It's an absolute monarchy. That is the kingdom that I am first and foremost a citizen of. Everything else is secondary. If your possessions matter more to you than someone who's starving, you're probably not looking at the same Jesus. Jesus spoke a lot more about generosity and sacrifice and helping the poor than he did talking about what happens to you after you die. If you're picking and choosing your principles based on culture, if you want like vending machine Jesus, and I'm going to pick this one and this one, but I'm not going to pick this one, then you probably aren't seeing Jesus accurately. You're making up your own version. You're re-sculpting him to suit you. If your version of right or wrong is based on your opinions, Jesus probably isn't even on your radar screen. To tell the God of the universe who made everything, yourself included, that you think you know better than him from your limited vantage point is actually pretty crazy. And that, that is the prevailing mindset in culture today when it comes to morality. Oh, it's right for me, it's right for me. It's right for you, it's right for you. has nothing to do with 
with this incredible Jesus that we need because he is the actual cure for our disease. We need to see him accurately. Serve the real living God. I'm going to sum up this whole message. Ask why enough times to discover who Jesus really is. Be humble enough to receive him as he is. Build your life on the correct foundation. Test what you hear, pray, and ask the Holy Spirit of God to give you wisdom and understanding. Because seeing Jesus accurately will put you in the position to allow Jesus to make you more like him. And that's what discipleship is. To be a disciple of Jesus. That's actually what the early Christians, they considered themselves disciples of Jesus. The word Christian was actually a derogatory term that was used to insult Christians in early centuries. It was something that Christians didn't really embrace until later on. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And that means to follow him, to, to walk in his footsteps, to see how he did something and then to try to do it like he did him. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to try to become more and more like him not to make him more and more like us as times change. We are supposed to be the clay that is sculpted, perfected by the master sculptor. And if you do that, you will stand tall while the shifting sands of culture and time dissolve and fade around you. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you to reveal who you really are to us. Help us to see you clearly, to let everything else fade and slip away. God, we want to be transformed by the truth and the reality of who you are. Lord, shape us more and more in your image. and Help us to be true disciples of you. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next Sunday.